Hello, Janina. Hi, Paul. Long time. So, so that's what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I'd got a new podcast host. <laughs> this is what I look like now, Paul. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this, this lady with a different name has uh, sent out the, all the invites. Ah, yes, yes. So, all podcast listeners, we have a few updates. We are back and in a slightly different take, right? Or a different way, Paul? I changed well, my name. <laughs> uh, Janina, yeah, that's right. Janina does this thing that uh, she's, uh, she got bored with her old name, so she's up- upgraded. I upgraded. I think she's downgraded. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure either. You've met him. So, yeah. So I got married and changed my last name, as is proper in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. as common in Sweden as it is in other places. Oh, no, and no. Uh, it also works the other way around. I know guys that have changed their name when they got married. So yeah, you basically you can take the name that you like the most. Yeah, mm. whichever has it. Yeah, we're uh, we're not so so conservative in Sweden. <laughs> we just but we take uh, each other's name. That's a big change when you get hitched. Yeah, that would actually be quite fun swapping names. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. That as well. But no, we're here, I, and it's the same. It's the same. It's really the same old podcast. Yeah. Yes. So we are. We haven't done any big changes yet, but we will try and be a little bit more professional from now on. We are working with a producer, and I think we should uh, talk more about them in the next podcast, where we have a little bit more of a plan of how we're going forward with this podcast. But this one, it's the final episode of this year we are it is the ultimate podcast of (laughs) yes it is and we have some super good guests so brought us back into podcasting uh, here we of course have mr mobility report himself patrick serval he is working with strategy at ericsson he is head of strategic marketing insights at Ericsson in his normal job. And his side job is Mr. Ericsson Mobility Report. He was the one who started it off 10 years ago in 2011, then with a different name. And he was also in one of our first podcasts here talking about the Mobility Report. And we have followed the development of 5G during the years here at The Voice of 5G together with him. And just to clarify, Janina, yeah. it's the report that had the different name, not Patrick. <laughs> <coughs> See, we have a change of name theme here, Paul, <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> yes, back in the day, it was called something else. But listen to the interview and you will find out what it was back then. Mr. Serval, and we also have an honor guest. He brought in Bengt Nordström, a really senior I mobile can't. industry expert from back in the day and still active, of course. But yeah, he's got a lot of knowledge about what happened in the industry from <laughs> the 80s. The 2000s yes. and the 2010s. Yeah. Uh, and just to say, of course, Bengt Beng- is now uh, with uh, Accenture. Yes, he's working for Accenture. We wanted to say something about or clarify something that was in the podcast or in the interview section. That is that we're, we're talking about CSPs and operators. Those are just different 
names of what we call communication service providers. Communication service providers, that's right. That's the same thing as your mobile operator, your cellular operator, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, but it's industry jargon speak. We're all very good at jargon speak. But we do our best to uh, pull it apart and just like get back to real words. <laughs> and there we have the theme of this episode, Paul, uh, again. Different names. Changing names. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are called different things all over the world. Like you, uh, I think in Sweden, you normally call it operator or, or operatör, right? Mm. But, yeah, they are called different things. And we usually, we try to keep it to service provider in this podcast. Good. Then we have that. Let's go over, Paul, you have what's cooking in the 5G area. Now it's been such a long time since we did a podcast. Can you make a quick recap about what is the hot stuff? What's uh, the right hot now, stuff? What's the hot stuff happening in 5G? Yeah, yeah. We, we went away for the summer with great ambitions to be back in September. And now it's already December and the time seems to have flown past during the autumn. But I think one of the things that's been big in 5G in the last period. Firstly, more and more networks can keep rolling out, of course. You know, there are more and more operators and more and more parts of the world, more co- more countries coming on stream. We announced fairly recently that we have, we, we now have 100 live networks. Yeah, yeah so past 100 live networks. So, you know, that gives you a measure. Since the first network rolled out in the end of 2018, so that's 2019, 2000, uh, in three years. So, um that's not, not quite a live network every week, but it's, it's uh, not so very far off. Yeah, and a measurement there that I saw was that in October, there was a total of 182 or something like that, say 180 uh, live networks all over the Eight. world. Yeah, from, uh, information from GSA, the Global... I think it's the Global Mobile Suppliers Association. Thank you. But you could check. Because I'm not always right, Janina, strangely yes. enough. A Global Mobile Suppliers Association. Ooh. See, you're always right. <laughs> oh, apparently. But one thing that that number hides is that during this year, we've moved from non-standalone networks to standalone networks. So that's to say networks which have a 5G access network, so mobile base stations and stuff, and the 5G core. So it's not relying on the 4G network for providing the 5G service. The original networks used a, a modified version of the 4G. And uh, so 5G standalone, that's out, it's live and new installations coming there. And, and that's really interesting because it allows lots of new stuff. And it's particularly important to, when it comes to being able to do time critical things. And we actually had a, you know, a big announcement around time critical communication in the autumn, which will leverage on the capabilities of 5G. And that is important in the context of things like industrial uses for uh, 5G. And I think we've seen a lot of interest and announcements during the latter part of the year around private networks and people using 5G for manufacturing, for oil and gas plants, in in mining, all sorts of uses. Lots of things also going on around using 5G for in transportation, for rail networks, for roadside networks, for connected vehicles. So... It's expanding on all fronts. It's a bit like the reverse of an onion model. You pull the layers off until you get down into the heart of it. And now we're going in the opposite direction. We've, we're building out layers as, as the networks are built then and you build the infrastructure and then you 
bring in new industries and new use cases and lots of new stuff. That's all quite cool. Uh, and also happening alongside that is network slicing is maturing, which is this ability to actually build virtual networks using the 5G infrastructure. So you can use that for different applications. Mm-hmm. And coupled to that is is an increasing use of automation and artificial intelligence to be able to cope with all of the complexity that it 5G networks, the technology, the, the number of nodes that you have, the number of frequency bands you're using, the number of services that you want to run over that huge numbers of things happening and the artificial intelligence and machine learning is a way to help to optimize and make that happen without needing huge teams of people setting things up for you so lots of parallel things going on there which i think we'll be coming back to in the new year yes indeed we have also received new phones Paul, that's also happened during the year. It did. It took a while, didn't it, Janina? But (laughs) we now have 5G phones. We have 5G phones out there. (laughs) Uh, I have to confess, if I turn it on at home, I don't get 5G 5G coverage yet. But out in in Stockholm, there's 5G coverage. So, yeah, I can sit on the bus on 5G. (laughs) Yes, I have not received it yet. I have not. Out here, I'm living further away from the city. I haven't even been into the city working from home, so I have not seen it yet. But yes, uh, we now have 5G on our phones, at least <laughs> one step forward. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small step for mankind, but a huge step for this podcast. The, the big thing that, the, that's coming now is folding phones. And uh, I don't have a folding phone, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, so we're already old now, anyway. So we're already behind the, behind the curve. <laughs> Good, good. Let's see if this podcast goes well. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I just uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to Shoeb, who uh, contacted us through uh, LinkedIn to say, I've listened to all your episodes. Where is the, when, when are you coming with the next episode? And the simple answer is, this is it. Oh. So, hi, thanks for the interest. It's always, always great to hear from one of our competitors. Maybe that's yep. a good cue to let's go and get on with what we're here to talk about. I, which is I just have mobility. to say as well, thanks everyone for sending in a lot of emails and shout outs and everything. We're so very grateful and you actually pushed us to take up podcasting again. So it's all because of our great listeners that we are here again and giving you this taste of 5G. Yeah, taste of vibe and giving the, you this amazing interview with Patrick and Bengt. We had so much fun. <laughs> okay. And Janina, if, if people want to get in touch. Yes, you can get in touch with us by email to uh, 5Gpodcast at ericsson.com. 5Gpodcast in one word at ericsson.com. Over to the interview. We have an exciting episode of the Voice of 5G podcast now and returning guest Patrick Sierval. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Welcome, Patrick. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. (laughs) We did one of our very first podcasts together with you back in 2018, when we just had started this, the Voice of 5G podcast, talking about 5G, and you were in, I think, the 
fourth episode that we recorded, Patrick. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I remember. It was a yeah. good one. Yeah, yes. and, and not and not to forget the episode we did live on the mobility report. That was a year later when we did one actually where you can uh, yeah a LinkedIn live our very first LinkedIn live where you also joined us. I like to do this first. So <laughs> and we've been talking about Ericsson Mobility Report now for for I think every time it's been out in the podcast in different ways. And you brought on different guests every time. And last time you even didn't come yourself. We had your colleague Annette on the podcast talking about the Ericsson Mobility Report. That was back in June. And now, though, you're back and you brought a friend. I did. I'm <laughs> very happy that we are more. <laughs> more people. guests here, even more honored yes. than I am. <laughs> So let's introduce yourself, Bengt Nordström. Thanks for inviting me. Big pleasure for me to be with you here today. So Bengt Nordström, I'm a long timer in the telecom industry. Actually worked with Ericsson in the 80s when 1G was on the agenda. And then I'm spending 10 years in the mobile operator community, Sweden and Hong Kong. And since 1999, I was co-founding and CEO for a consulting firm called Northstream that has been working with Ericsson quite a lot. And then Northstream was acquired by Accenture in 2019. So I'm now part of the huge Accenture uh, organization. And you are, your title is actually Managing Director of Strategy and Consulting there. You have been a, like a strategy consultant for a very long time, also working with Ericsson, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very happy to have you here, Bengt. You and Patrick, you have been in this business for a long time. Patrick, can you take us back to when did you go into the telecom industry? How, how did you? How did I? Yeah, this was a long time ago. I started Ericsson in 1995. Um, so that's um, more than 25, 20, soon 27 years ago. I started up with, with quite a, an interesting journey of, of developing 2G uh, back in the time, developing a lot of different functionality. So, you know, I'm really a GSM radio guy. That's my background. Shall we just quickly recap what had happened before 1995 with mobile, with the mobile networks and, and that industry? Yeah, that's almost a question for Bengt, I guess. You've been here yes, longer than I. I You've I'm been the here only even one longer. Here was, was born then, so <laughs> we should leverage from that. Uh, no, so I, I, I think it's very interesting because when I joined Ericsson in 1983, you know, mobile was very new, and I think we counted in the best cases of markets that had maybe, you know, hundred thousands of users, not not more than that. Um, but it was also at that time when GSM was being shaped as a technology and as a standard. So, so one of the last things I did when I worked with Ericsson in this is in 1989 was to be part of of this first wave of GSM proposals that went out to the 12 European operators that have decided to go for GSM, and and then I moved to um, 
Convic, which was a Swedish startup um, operator at the time. And uh, then we began our operation in 1992. And the, the interesting thing perhaps with, with that time is that we, I think it, we, we understood that maybe penetration levels of more than 10% was possible. But when you were trying to tell a banker or you're in pretend, you know, someone who lend the money to build for you to build the network, then you had to have spend a lot of time and convincing to make them believe that 20% penetration was possible. So then that's where we were, you know, before 1995, I would say. And Paul, did you want to say anything about the penetration? I can remember like back in 1995, yeah, phones were coming along and uh, it, it was a very exotic thing. I can still remember the, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, the great big chunky car phones. And uh, it was a kind of salesman's emblem of achievement that they did manage to get themselves a car phone. So yeah, definitely a, a very different world to the one we live in today. Mm. But were you back in Britain then? Yeah, I was. I was in Britain. I actually joined uh, Ericsson about '97, I think. Worked in uh, avionics and a number of different things before that. But '97, I came in on board to with Ericsson in the UK and uh, got my first mobile phone. Yes, GSM. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> one of those. One of those big black Ericsson bricks. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm slightly younger than than you guys, but not that much anymore. I just wanted to because we might have either younger <laughs> listeners, you don't know, but the, a very easy to remember way of following the different generations of mobile networks is to think in years of 10, right? So like the 1G was around 1980 and then 2G was around 1990 and so on. And then 3G was around the year 2000. That's when I joined Ericsson just in the middle of the IT crisis here in Sweden. And then 4G, that was around 2010. And that was then also when you decided to, or someone decided, what happened Mm. to start up the Ericsson Mobility Report? Not with that name back then. No. No, and it was an interesting story. Uh, we had during uh, a couple of years, actually from the start of 3G and even before then, done a lot of measurements in different mobile networks, really trying to understand you know, what is happening, what are the growth factors, how many subscriptions do we see, uh, what's happening on traffic side, uh, both on the voice traffic, but also then later on data traffic. Um, but all of that data that we had internally in Ericsson, we kept it internally. We kept it for our own research and development, our own strategic purposes. We did forecast as well, but we never really released it. And that and that was, of course, a business for Ericsson. It was like, yeah, we know or we have a guess about what will happen right there. Yeah, there. I mean, so we, we need to be We were very prepared. eager to, you know, this is our own our secret source. This is, you know, we need to keep this uh, by ourselves to, of course, develop the best products. So kind of a natural thought, I guess. What happened then? 
Well, then we we're never alone. There's always competitors around, and sometimes they do things as well. So we had a number of other, both competitors, but also analyst firms that start talking about more, you know, what's happening in in terms of uh, mobile growth. And and when we saw one of the competitors that actually was more on the fixed side talk start talking about mobile traffic and mobile data and and subscriptions and so on on the mobile networks, and was more quoted and, and cited than than we were we thought that this can't really be true we you know we need to establish ourselves as having the lead in this area because we have all this data so that was the start of why we started to collect that and i got the task then to project lead the first report but it wasn't so easy to just you know put data to on a paper you know we need to have a lot of, of internal discussions on can we release it can we not but the biggest discussion was probably around the name so we ended up with a, a consensus name Traffic and Market Data Report was the name of the first report. <laughs> ah, very descriptive. Exactly. <laughs> did what it said on the tin. Exactly. <laughs> it did what it said on the tin. Exactly. I don't know, Bengt, if you remember the early days before the mobility report and, and uh, the situation in the market and, and the knowledge base, how, how it was from your end. Yes, for sure, I remember, because that was... You know, there are only time when we, uh, as a you know, telecom strategy consulting firm at Northstream, were helping our clients to predict the future. You know, what is lying ahead? And as you're alluding to, the only source you had in those days was actually Cisco's data report, and it was quite obvious when you look at the mobile data part of that report that it was just an extrapolation of what the Cisco saw on the fixed network side. There were not really any reliable mobile data forecast report available in the market. So um, as a consulting firm, it, it added a lot of value because suddenly there was a very credible source of data available in the market. It, it helped forecasting and strategy work quite a lot. The figures could be discussed more concretely, I, I assume, when you have some like a re- proper report about it. <laughs> of course, I've had a look into the report. The, the 2011 uh, version, you can see a little bit of data from the previous two years, perhaps, in it. And then it's also, of course, the five-year forecast, because that's mm. what you decided then to, to forecast, to keep the forecast on a five-year scale, right? Yeah, we started off with a five-year scale. We'd actually moved to six-year scale after that. But then it was interesting then because you have to remember then when we did this release of the first report in November 2011, the situation in that market, we actually hit, I would say, in some kind of a sweet spot when everything happened. There were so many trends picking up on mobile broadband that we weren't really sure of where they would go. So it was actually a really, really exciting period to try to forecast what would happen. I have to remember that that smartphones was quite a new thing back then. The, the first 4G was launched in the end of 2009. We didn't have much 4G at all in 2011 because of the time it took for phones to actually be available. And actually, I, I read a, an interesting thing. In 2010, do you know what the, the newest uh, the voted word in the US was? The, the, the newest word. They voted for the most impactful word of 2010. That, that was actually the word app. 
Oh. <laughs> so, you know, so that's how, quite how new. new it was. <laughs> wow. Remembering back in the day, so was smartphones, was that like a new thing, 2011 or? Pretty new. We had around 700 million smartphones in the world, so it's quite a lot still, but half of those were on 2G and half of those were on 3G. So you couldn't really use so much data. Most people were complaining about the battery lifetime, getting coverage for, for mobile broadband and data applications was also a big issue. The, far, the smartphone basically came in 2007 when um, the first iPhone came, uh, I would yes. say. Mm. That was a big revolution. Yeah. yeah, I was just saying that was that was sort of a defining moment for the industry because we should remember that when 3G was launched in, in reality commercially in 2003, it faced a lot of challenges. The whole industry was in, in a bit of a turmoil because of the auctions that had taken place a few years earlier where operators paid too much for the spectrum. And then 3D didn't live up to its expectations. So it wasn't until 2007, really, when we had a proper data solution in 3D, which was called HSPA. And that coincided then with the launch of, of iPhone. And, and I think that changed everything in this industry. If you simplify it, you can say there wasn't a data market in any substantial way before 2007. So I think that yeah. the timing of mobility report is, is very good because it was coming when we had data to measure. What I would say is a little bit surprising is the focus on uh, the mobile data and the, the usage of mobile data on PCs, Patrick. Was that a big thing back then? It, it's, it looks like PCs and pads. The, the tablet was also then in 2011, it was also quite new, the, the whole iPad thing. But I think you had realized when we looked into the networks in 2011, it was actually very few people that stood for a lot of the data traffic in the in the network. Video was only 30% of the traffic. Most was actually downloading of different types of file transfers, peer traffic, you know, all that, or peer to peer traffic and all of that. So there was a a lot of other things going on in networks. And as I said, very few people stood for a lot of the data. So looking then into to that and, and trying to figure out what will happen the next coming years, obviously it was easy to think about the, the laptops. They would all be equipped with a, a mobile broadband module, a cellular connected, all the tablets should be that. So we had actually very high forecast on how much, you know, five years later, how many there will be. I think we said that there would be almost 600 million laptops connected to cellular networks. When we looked five years later, it was only 180 million. So we basically missed on that. And I think the whole industry actually thought that would happen. But then a smartphone had the possibility to tether traffic um, by actually turning into a Wi-Fi hotspot. That changed that business model quite a lot. Uh, ah. Because then you can use your smartphone to do that. So people were using their tablets and PCs and so on, and they still are over mobile network. But it goes via a smartphone. I think that's yeah. a, a big difference. Yeah, I think we've uh, discussed this before. Like the thought was that you should have a like a dongle or something to connect your or or even built in your PC, and that sort of never really took off. And instead, you have your small PC on your phone. That mm. has developed very fast. And you were saying that like the first apps 
for coming and the, I guess the usage of the phones have changed a lot during these 10 years. What was it like? What was in 2011. It like back, back then, I think we all have to start try to remember. But <laughs> what I know was that, which is maybe in some way kind of expected, was that games were back then also a big thing. But smaller app games, you can actually download games and so on. And one of the biggest games at the time, which had huge impact, and a lot of people downloaded and played it, was Angry Birds, if you remember. Um, ah, yes, Finnish game. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> So that took the yeah. world with lots, lots of games from Scandinavia. Yeah. yeah, it's been continuing since then. But yeah. it was, I think, something to remember from this time is that when data became a functioning technology in the 3G standard, so you actually could receive and send good amounts of data, then the pricing of the service from the CSPs was very high. So there was a pricing barrier, although the technology was in place. And and if you remember, we had this bill shock news that mm. came where someone you know was traveling from Sweden to Spain, and uh, by mistake had their phone switched on for data, and then ended up with a bill of like two thousand euros when they came home. And it was not only Sweden; it happened in in many places around the world. So that became a barrier for using data, but that was gradually sold then in, in this past decade. But initially, pricing was a barrier. It's interesting to see how the commercial setup actually influences the uptake of the technology. You talked about laptops and putting mobile into the laptop. If you'd been able to add a laptop to your mobile subscription for no extra cost, then probably that technology would have taken off. But if you have to take a, a second subscription and pay extra to have your laptop connected, that creates a barrier to, to adoption of that as well. Yeah, and then to add to that, I think that also, you know, this change or disruption of, of new commercial models, I think we have seen that over the years, the last 10 years. If we had problems to estimate laptops in the beginning, I think trying to keep track on the traffic growth has always been a little bit more challenging. I think in the end of the last, you know, 10 years, we, I think we have been quite good at actually forecasting number of smartphones. But the traffic on the smartphone is so dependent on both applications, the, but very much the commercial models and, and what everyone is, is offering. And we've seen some crazy offerings going happening in different markets, different regions that really have impact the amount of traffic. So there is a direct correlation between those things still. Yeah, that definitely has an impact. And looking back then, 10 years of uh, Ericsson Mobility Report. Oh, but it changed name to Ericsson Mobility Report the, the year after, so 2012, I guess. And you also changed, you mentioned it before, from five years forecast to six years forecast. How, how come? That was probably not so dramatic at all. I think it was more out of, you know, we have, yeah, let, we could do it. Therefore, we did it kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, it's always good to have, be able to have as, as long forecast as possible. But, you know, at one point it becomes very uncertain and we can't really be so sure if it's too far away. But six years was probably a good balance. Good round number. Yeah, good round number. Because that meant you know, we could go from you know a number of years ahead still and, and have some kind of an view on that point. Yeah, because you released the new year in November, so it I guess it makes sense to like have it uh, one more year as it's at the end of the year. Yes. But in the new 
Ericsson Mobility Report. Mm. You also have a lot of because this is now the 10-year anniversary, and you have a lot of numbers there where looking back then, and then, of course, it has to be looking back five years to see which predictions came through. And it's amazing to see, because this was the question that I was going to start this podcast off with, that I always start this podcast off with when I have you online Patrick, what was wrong this time? <laughs> here it comes, here it comes. Yes. You're always putting me on the spot, Janina. Um, <laughs> you see the faults, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I think the answer to that, that is that when you do forecast, the only thing you know is that you are wrong. But hopefully you're not so wrong. And I think what we have learned over the years is that these are different phases of development of technology. And once you get that right, where you are in that development, you can actually be quite correct in your forecast. So if you look at the last 10 years, the first five of those were basically an installation phase where you installed the smartphone as becoming this global device that everyone had. And, and once you get up to speed on that and you actually see that developing, you can be quite good at forecasting the amount of, of new smartphone users. You know how many mobile phone users there are and the, the build out of coverage and capacity. And therefore, you can have some kind of a good prediction of number of devices being rolled out and, and sold over the next years. So I think we got that right. But but when it comes to traffic, it's much harder because that depending on so many other different things. So, But still, even there, I think we are quite good at forecasting what, you know, the overall numbers after a while. Now we are in a new phase where we try to look at 5G. And I think we can see it basically in the same way that, you know, there will be an installation phase. And then it's hard to maybe predict how many 5Gs there will be and so on. But once that is up and running and you have the 5G network rolled out, uh, there will be so many other things, disruptions coming, new business models, new devices and so on. So it will be another phase of trying to figure out how the new networks will be used. And again, if I just comment on that, it's it's when I look at the growth trend that you are displaying in the report, I think it's in one way, it's showing us that we have been on the same form factor or design of smartphones for, for more than 10 years. The rectangular shapes, touchscreen phones. There are, you know, a couple of big brands and they have, you know, quite similar in look and feel. And you, know, you can also notice there that the, if you go back, you know, to around when you launched the first report, the, the hype around an iPhone launch was amazing. And it was a global phenomenon, right? Uh, everyone watched what would be the new features. Now, 10 years later, we we don't pay that much attention. It's just an, yet another rectangular shaped touchscreen phone. And I think you also see that in the projections and then the, in the data growth trend. So I thought when I looked at the latest report, when is the corresponding thing to the iPhone impact coming to the market? What would be the device that is making data accelerate in growth again? I don't have an answer. It's more like it triggered my mind to think in that way. We are yet to see then what the next generation mass product or uh, will have what sort of impact it will have in the market. 
Yeah, and I think that's, that is really the interesting question to try to, to look ahead. In some way, I think history teaches us that there will be one. <laughs> there will be something coming. It might not be one device as we have the smartphone. It might be, you know, a multiple of different versions that will be used in many different both industries and, and for consumers. But something will probably happen. What, what um, we saw with 4G was that once we got around 40% population coverage, then it became really a mass market take up of smartphones of 4G and also a lot of new development technology wise in the smartphone many more new sensors you started to use the smartphone new things you were opening locks with it you were paying with it you were testing your health with it so there's a lot of new development technology wise in the smartphone that have happened once you actually got to a stage when actually it was a mass market product I would guess that something similar will happen also on top of 5G once that is established as the technology and all the innovation power of the world will start to think of new ideas and ways to use that. Yeah. And would you say that perhaps the things that, if I again can point it out, that you were wrong <laughs> with has actually been due to changes in the technology, right? I mean, the, the big shifts uh, where you're thinking like, okay, well, mobile subscriptions should have a big uptake. But now we have eSIMs and you don't have that many mobile subscriptions. And you use, like Paul said, different devices connected to the same subscription. Yeah, I think we, I mean, if we compare our forecasts with many of the other analysts around the world at the same time, we were probably more aggressive than many others in terms of, of believing that there will be a big uptake, both in traffic mm. and subscriptions. Still, and, and traffic, still, you were way off in the traffic, let me tell you. <laughs> in the beginning, yes. But so was everyone else. And and that was also based on, on knowledge of the commercial models at the time. But I think that what we can see is that it goes faster, much of these technology development than you can think. So there's almost a saying, you know, you or you overestimate in the short term, but you underestimate in the long term. I think that's what we're seeing here. One one particular memory I have from those days when we did sourcing projects from for CSPs for buying mobile systems is that when you made then you made projection on how much traffic will growth and it only consisted voice and text. And suddenly, when off beyond 2010, when you made those forecasts, the voice and text wasn't visible on the traffic growth. It was all data. So mm -hmm. it was a shift in the industry that has been voice text focused to become completely data focused. And it was really about what, what Patrick talks about, the ability to forecast data growth was, you know, the important parameter for being successful in sourcing and other planning projects. Yeah. But to nuance the picture a little bit is that, of course, that when you look at underneath the traffic growth forecast that we did, we were actually quite correct when it comes to certain regions like Western Europe, like North America. But the big shift or big changes was actually in, in trying to forecast India or China. That was basically where we underestimated. If you take India, this is, you know, the enormous traffic growth you can see there is based on, on a big disruptive event when the new entrant in the market, Reliance Geo, started offering 4G as a greenfielder and offered extremely competitive packages, almost free services for users and got around 100 million subscriptions very fast. 
And that actually impacted data on a global scale, how much data was produced, because they are right now, they're actually one of the regions with the highest amount of gigabytes per month per user still. Those type of events you can't really forecast. And that's, of course, coupled across to things like what's the penetration of fixed broadband services? Because in the old days, if you had broadband, you had it at home on a, on a cable, ASDL or fiber or something. But many parts of the world never got that infrastructure. So mobile actually became broadband for them, not not mobile broadband, it was broadband. Picking up on what, what Patrick is saying, which I think is super interesting when it comes to forecasting, you know, it, it's very hard to predict something like G when India, as you are saying, but many times these sort of changes in the market that becomes disruptive and that then is generating growth in traffic and so forth is coming from these hard to forecast events. I think it's the same in the US, for instance, it was a fairly stable market, I would say, between shared between Verizon and AT&T. And then come this, you know, this event when T-Mobile is being formed and get the capital injection because of a failed merger with AT&T. And then they hire a very charismatic CEO and T-Mobile becomes a very important driving force for the development of the U.S. market. And it has become you know, very dynamic and that also created a lot of data traffic growth in the U.S. market. In China, if you take that as an example, I think the data growth we have seen in 4G is the result of that they actually stopped betting on their own homegrown 3D technology and went for global standard. In the back end of this is, I think, these two, China and the US, to a certain extent, the result of that both countries, after hesitating for a long time, went for global standard. Yeah. And I guess that also had a huge impact on the uptake of 5G, of course, because like you mentioned before, Patrick, it was hinging on getting the actual phones, handsets as we call them as well, out very fast for 5G. And 5G, shall we mention some of the numbers for 5G, Patrick? You've, now, you were wrong again. In 2015, you estimated 150 million 5G subscriptions <laughs> in 2021. Were you wrong? <laughs> yes, we were. But there is an explanation this time again, okay. of course, and, and another disruptive event. And I guess this is more down to the industry have realized the need for 5G earlier than was expected. So what happened actually in 2017 was that it was decided to introduce 5G in the standardization much earlier than previously expected. They created this um, non-standalone version of 5G and launched it almost two years earlier than was predicted. And Based on that, of course, the uptake have come up much quicker. We are right now at around 660 million 5G subscriptions. And that wouldn't have happened unless we have had this speedier delivery of the standard itself. Yes. So we're just in June when we did the last podcast about the mobility report, the number was half a billion. And it surpassed that even at the end of 2021. Mm. Yes, it does. And and that is also another phenomenon we are looking at right now when it comes to 5G is the device prices going down actually faster than we expected. What is it, 1,000 um, devices, over 1,000 devices or different 
variants of devices on 5G already. We have, I think, shipments of 5G is around 23% of all shipments are 5G right now, while at the same period of when the 4G cycle was, was around 9% of all the shipment were 4G at the same period after the launch of 4G versus 5G then. So it goes much quicker to get the 5G devices out there. Do you see, Patrick, is that, a, is that a change in the speed in specific markets or is that the, the fact that more markets are taking up 5G at the same time? I think it's a combination, of course, of the fact that there are so many different markets. It's a global standard. It's taking up everywhere. And of course, it's different bands in different places. But there is also a lot of the devices are supporting, you know, many of these different bands available. So, yes, I think it's one reason is that the jump or the shift from a 4G device to 5G device is probably smaller, um, at least to get the uptake than what it was from going from 3G to 4G on device side. And also the fact that many that got a 4G smartphone actually got the first smartphone with the 4G connection. While now many that get a 5G smartphone actually have had a 4G smartphone. So there is more of a natural shift upwards. No, I was just thinking again about what I found very interesting in the latest report, and, and that is the projection of massive and critical IoT in front of you. That, I think, was very inspiring and, and made, or made my brain thinking a bit, you know, where is this really heading? Because IoT has been like a narrowband service for you know, the last 20 years or so. And I think if I look back at previous versions of the mobility report, the growth has been based on narrowband technologies like NB-IoT and so forth. Now, I think you're actually pointing to that IoT will be more broadband-based going forward and play a very important role for the IoT business and market going forward. And I think that is very, very exciting to see how that will develop. I think you are pointing absolutely in the right direction, but the opportunity for 5G in IoT, massive critical, is really one of these exciting growth opportunities. Now, your listeners got that forecast straight from an expert, Bengt Nordström, is <laughs> looking for IoT. Patrick, do you agree? Yes, absolutely. I think I think it is a very interesting aspect to consider the shift. First of all, that we see the, the sunsetting of 2G and 3G IoT more and more. I think that's also critical when it comes to sunsetting networks eventually to release them and, and go over to 4G. Ah, yes. And, and uh, sunsetting meaning closing them down, right? Ah, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm closing them down. And it has been a number of years where we still have seen 2G and 3G IoT grown, but now we've started to see a decline. I think they will might even go faster than we thought. And then the broadband IoT, which is then the, the type of modems, you know, normal 4G or 5G modems you put into cars or billboards or drones or these that need high capacity or, or high speeds are probably going to be more available and they have the capability, and I agree completely with Bank, to change more things than we can think of right now, I think. Yeah, becoming a more and more connected world out there. When it comes to forecasts then, what do you see when it comes to 5G in five years? What will 5G look like then? Yeah, we're basically saying now, actually in six years' time, in 2027, that we're going to have some 4.4 billion 5G 
subscriptions. It's going to be the dominant technology. Uh, the rest will mostly be 4G, but there will still be some 2G and 3G left, depending mm. on which region in the market you look at. Yeah. Traffic will continue to be made out of a lot of 5G, over 60%, I think, will be 5G of all the mobile data traffic. But then another interesting development is, of course, on fixed wireless access, uh, ah, where yes. we see 5G actually being probably a very good alternative to roll out quick broadband in many places of the world as a complement to fiber or in places where you don't have any any fixed broadband at all. So I think that this is probably an interesting area to look at. We see more and more uh, operators offering it. We see more and more type of, of speed tier pricing models, which basically is the same as we have had on fixed broadband, where you, you pay for a 100 megabit per second downlink or uplink or you, you know that type of, of solution. And I think this is obviously something that's going to drive a lot of traffic in the networks, but also a very more pinpointed business model for certain applications, for certain users. And it could be both households, but it could be enterprises as well benefiting right. from this. And will that be fixed wireless using 5G or do you think it will be also 4G? Also 4G, already today it's also a lot of 3G, but definitely a lot of 4G. But the growth in numbers will be mostly on 5G eventually. Well, let's see. Perhaps in five years' time, I'll have you back, uh, Patrick, and talk about what you were wrong about them. <laughs> I think you have a very negative approach, Anita. <laughs> thank you, <Yeah>. thank you. <laughs> Looking at what went wrong and correcting, that's called positive feedback, Patrick. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> uh, Patrick, a question. Have you any comments on views on like how much, as a consumer, how much data will we be using in five years' time? Yeah, that's an, another interesting topic. We have a forecast that basically says that that average, you will use around 40 gigabyte per month um, per, per device or per user in five, six years time. Some markets you will get a, almost 50 gigabyte, but you should compare that. And it, it sounds like a lot, but that's on average for certain regions. Looking at some markets already today, we have an actually an article in the report from Far East Tone uh, in Taiwan. They have actually on their 5G unlimited offer that they have, the users are on average using 60 gigabyte already today. And I, you know, we try to describe a little bit what they are doing and they are using it for a lot of different applications, but, but a lot of is still video and video streaming and, and that kind of services. So I think we'll have to look at, but for this huge increase in data, there needs to be something more. So we are basically betting that there will be more either virtual reality, augmented reality or other type of new devices coming. So that's our part of the forecast, but we never really know how fast it will take up. You can never be sure. Bengt, what do you think will happen looking for five or six years ahead? I think I'd like to go back to what I said um, a few moments earlier. The very determining factor here will be when do we get the next device breakthrough that will shift data traffic, that will make data flow faster again. I don't know who will launch it, what it will look like, but it's, as we said before, it's the timing is there. It's iPhone kind of phones came in 2007, and that's a long time ago. So I think something disruptive there will come and it will have an impact. Again, we are underestimating the long-term impact, although we are aware of that we are doing that. 
Then I think one of the bigger opportunities here is how will 5G be used in industrial applications and how will that market be shaped? That is, I mean, in, in, I think in, if I take my, my current company's view, Accenture, I think we believe it would be like an ecosystem play where CSPs, hyperscalers, equipment vendors, solution providers are partnering to address industrial applications and needs. And it's very important that it is materializing. And if it does, I think it can have a huge impact on much data we consume in industrial environments. Yeah, this uh, fourth industrial revolution that's being talked about, yeah. And I guess, I mean, you having uh, worked in the industry, you have seen these technology shifts and you are now expecting something to happen when it comes to device or usage. You can see <laughs> you've been around. Normally, when you when you follow the market, you, you sort of have to start basically in the chipset side of this industry to see what sort of computing devices are coming out. If we get a shift there in more than doing incremental increases, that will have a phenomenal impact. And I, I, you know, to look in that to maybe understand what will be possible a few years from now. But you know, I'm when I think back about this industry, and you know, all I've been very optimistic about the opportunity. But if someone in the 1990s would have said that we would consume 60 gigabyte of data on a monthly basis and that you can easily have hundreds of megabits in throughput capacity, I would, although being an optimistic person, I would have doubted that that would be possible. But that's where we are, you know, and, and still only maybe at the beginning of the journey. Amazing. I think that's a good last word for this episode of The Voice of 5G. Thanks so much, Bengt and Patrick, for joining the podcast. And thanks, thank everyone, you. for listening. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to join. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, even though we might release this podcast after the New Year. But Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, happy holidays or whatever you you're doing right now. Celebrating right now. In Sweden so, we celebrate Jul. <laughs> so Janina, we're at the end of 2021 and it's Christmas time-ish. Maybe we should say thank you to all our listeners for being with us for throughout the year, even the bit that when we've not been doing podcasts, and say season's greetings, good Yule, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Good Yule! <laughs> and so okay. ends 2021.